Hey everybody, what is going on? Welcome back once again to a brand new episode of Sweeten Up Podcast, season number two, episode number 57. I am your host, Jeff Spencer. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I greatly appreciate it. Whether you have for an entire season or you are today for the first time, it means a lot to all of us here at the podcast. However, if you are just joining us for the first time, take a look back at our library of 56 episodes anytime you want anywhere you subscribe to the show. As always, if you like what you hear on the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts so that you never miss a future episode. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Sweeten Up Podcast. With that being said, my guest on the podcast today is the great and powerful Leanne Griffin. Leanne Griffin is the food and consumer reporter for Hearst, Connecticut Media, handling coverage of restaurant openings and closings, trends, events, and general news about Connecticut food and beverage businesses. She's been working in Connecticut news for more than 15 years, most recently as the food and dining reporter for the Hartford Current. We had a fun and wide-ranging conversation covering Leanne's background in journalism and media, what she noticed about restaurants during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, how she became a food reporter, her favorite places to go, what a typical day is like, some awesome personal stories from the field, and so much more. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here she is, my friend and a wonderful reporter, Leanne Griffin. Joining me on the podcast today via Zoom video conferencing, I am so thrilled and honored to have this lovely individual on the other side of my computer screen. She is the food and consumer reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media, the great and powerful Leanne Griffin. And Leanne, thank you so much for joining me. And how are you? Thank you. That was quite the intro. <laughs> I appreciate that. Of course, no problem. Uh, you know, thank you so much for joining me, uh, giving me some of your time. I mean, I, I know you're you're super busy. You cover so much. There's so much going on uh, in the state with uh, all things considering with food. And my guests, I've I've found they they really enjoy food. Anytime I have someone who talks about food or a chef or anything like that, they love it. So so grateful for you to to come on and um, reach out to the other day. So thank you so much. And. One place I like to start with my guests, uh, as I usually do, considering everything that happened last year and how historic COVID was and, and everything like that and the lockdown, is how did you get by COVID? How did you manage COVID? You know, is everyone okay? Your friends, family? And uh, on a work front, uh, I'm assuming since you cover food, it must have been kind of interesting. So definitely talk to me on a personal level and a work level. Yeah, it was, I think a lot of people will go forward and say that it's the weirdest year of their life so far. And yeah, as you imagine, um, we, I was thankful where no one in my family caught COVID. And although it was really scary, you know, you just, my family's out of state, so I didn't see them for several months at a time. And that's hard. And it was just it was such a relief when everyone got vaccinated. But yeah, on a work level, it was, um, I was working in Hartford at the time for The Current, and I had traveled to Los Angeles to visit friends a weekend before everything shut down. And so I came back to work, and they said, you need to go home. And I said, what do you mean? They said, you were on a plane. We can't risk you being in here. And I said, okay. So I packed up my stuff, and I thought I'd be home for two weeks, as a lot of people thought we would. And then the next day, they said, everyone in the newsroom is working from home until further notice. And then it was really like, Wow this is serious. There was tension and everywhere we were sensing that restaurants were, they were not, they were seeing major drops in um, customers and people were nervous. And 
starting to feel like this is becoming a serious issue. So we're reporting on that. And then it was uh, the weekend before the shutdown. And then the shutdown came pretty early that Monday morning. And then it was very much, oh, wow, what happens now? There was no precedent for this. There was no rule book to follow. And, you know, you can imagine the the concern and the, and the confusion and the fear that first week. And so it was a lot of like there was no shortage of angles to report on that. And it was talking to people. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Where is your money going to come from? Are you able to switch to takeout? What happens if you lose all your bar business? It was the most confusing time you can ever imagine. And then us on the reporting end, trying to figure out all this information that's coming at you full speed and then trying to disseminate it. Like, um, I think all of us during that time became better reporters just because of the nature of the insanity that we were all dealing with. But I don't know. I, I, I think back about what a whirlwind it all was. And I still can't believe it's been almost a year and a half. Right. It, oh. it, is, it is weird to believe that, it, it you know, it's been a year and a half and, yeah. and now, you know, most people are vaccinated. Well, some people are vaccinated and and, um, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, move on, so to speak, and everything like that. And. Yeah, I mean, that must have been crazy trying to find things to talk about and report about. I mean, definitely you could talk about how certain restaurants and businesses were going to really struggle and have a difficult time and we're going to have to adapt. What did you notice about restaurants and how they adapted? Because I noticed that so many businesses, they had to be very unique in what they did. They they really had to, uh, you know, think outside the box to keep themselves alive. And what are some things you noticed on that front? I mean, that was instantaneous. And that's one of the things I was on a podcast the other day um, with some Connecticut restaurant representatives. We talked about how people pivoted so quickly. And it was really just, you know, I've, I've talked to restaurants who've said that's the only way we can survive. You know, it wasn't just like we had to do this. It wasn't just us being creative. Um, almost immediately, people were coming up with large family meals, trying to get people through, realizing that people were going to be home for a while, you know. Family meals, eventually takeout liquor was legalized. So people were doing, you know, they were doing fun kits, like cocktail kits. And, you know, here's your, here's our mixer. Here's our, our liquor. You know, here's a virtual class where you can learn how to make the cocktail at home. Yeah, it was, it was, people moved very, very quickly on that. And restaurants that were fine dining were switching to things like burgers and fried chicken, knowing that. People might not be buying a $34 steak to take home, you know, but also trying to keep up their their menus to fit with times that were uncertain. So moving toward comfort food and, you know, just really trying to keep people employed to the extent that they could. I know a lot of people had to be laid off immediately, but. Yeah, no, I I can't imagine what it must have been like being a restaurant owner or any sort of owner of any kind of business during that time. I mean, absolutely crazy. And it was so cool to see how many people just did whatever they could to stay open. And it was also cool to see the amount of public, you know, the public and, and, you know, the consumers and and the customers that are always going to those establishments, you know, really coming together. One thing that I thought was really cool was how um, a couple ladies from uh, uh, one from Bethel, one from Newtown, they both started groups where all the restaurants could share what they were doing. Um, did you hear anything about that? Anyone else who made like certain groups where restaurants could could let people know exactly what they were doing and when they were open and closed and all anything like that? 
Oh yeah, there were there were up in in Hartford County. There were several. There was Glastonbury east of the river. There was a West Hartford one, Avon, Sunsbury, Canton, and so I would sort of dip in and see who was doing one, and that was a a good source for reporting for me. If somebody was doing some interesting kit, um, I think there was a bakery out in the Avon area that was doing themed cupcake decorating kits. So you had kids at home, they're homeschooling, they're bored, the parents want something to do. And so that was fun. And people got very, very creative and they were doing pasta kits with homemade sauce and pizza kits for kids to make their own pies at home. And people really shifted. And, you know, as this went on for months and months and months, some people revamped their entire takeout models. And, you know, I think there are some changes that may end up being permanent on some people's end because they figured it out or they figured out how to streamline or they figured out that their customers liked a certain concept better. Gotcha. And, you know, one other thing I noticed uh, in mm-hmm. regards to COVID before we move on is, you know, uh, places opening during the pandemic. I mean, b- brand new restaurants opening, uh, mostly folks who are their first time owners and are young. Um, I had a few on my on my podcast uh, last year. Have you also noticed anything like that? Yeah, we do. I told someone this the other day. We do. We try to do a, a month, at least monthly roundup of new restaurants that would run in Connecticut Magazine and also runs on the Hearst sites. And I have a running list. There's there's eight or more every month, and I'm thinking, wow, these people. A lot of these. Some of these people are established restaurateurs, and some of these, like you said, are new people who, you know, saw the horrible year that everyone had just been through and thought, I still want to do this. So, you know, that dream is strong for a lot of people. Gotcha. And I know you probably have your work cut out for you now, but I'm sure it's a work you enjoy. I mean, I can't imagine being a food consumer. Um, And before we get to that, uh, I'm a food consumer writer. And before we get to that, um, you know, I know you got your master's at Quinnipiac and Quinnipiac is known to be one of the best journalism schools. Uh, In fact, our editor here on the podcast, Nick Pasacreta, he's a Quinnipiac graduate as well. And I know many others. Um, So, you know, in that regard, was it always sort of the plan for you to, to become a writer? Were you always into journalism or was it something that kind of just, you know, was, was new? Yeah, that was always my goal. And I went to a small Catholic college in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And I majored in communications. And I think I've, originally I thought I might, uh, journalism classes were always my favorite. And I think I thought at the time I thought I might get into public relations. I don't, I don't, I don't know why my first thought wasn't a newspaper or a broadcast station. I So I worked at the college where I graduated from and I worked in their public relations office. And I really liked that because there were some good profiles of students and alumni and some good content to be writing for. But I think once I got a little further into it, I thought, I, I think I want to try journalism in its traditional sense. And so my brother actually was at Quinnipiac as an undergrad. We're four years apart and he really loved it. So I said, I think I'm going to look into their journalism program. And I did. And I went to an open house there and, you know, I loved the program. And I thought, hey, this would be cool. I've kind of come to the end of the road of my first job there. And um, and I moved down here and I've been here ever since. Um, I loved Quinnipiac. I love the program there. I love the people I met. You know, the school has really only risen in its rankings since I left. And I felt they were very good in 2005 when I was there, I'm going to go back a few years, but um, by saying immediately, you need to be skilled in digital journalism and print is not going to be the end all be all. And you need video skill and you need audio skill and you need website skills. And um, I ended up taking that into my career 
immediately. So yeah, I'm really, really happy that I went there and really thankful for the education I had there. That's awesome. That's great. And I know um, since then, you know, you've been covering news in Connecticut for 15 years. You have um, a wealth of experience. And were you always covering food or what were you doing early on? And how did it lead to where you are now? Well, it's funny because I kind of fell into it. When I was at Quinnipiac, I I did the year-long program there. I did uh, an internship at The Current, and I was placed in their Manchester Bureau and ended up working um, in hard news, mostly because that was they were kind of dedicated to Manchester and and surrounding towns. So I got my newspaper experience there and um, really liked it. And I thought um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do next from there, but I was graduating the following May. And then a website producer job was open there. And thankfully I had apparently done well in that internship because the internship, uh, the, the bureau chiefs there recommended me for the online producer job for current.com. And I got hired there in 2006. And so spent three years there doing you know, online production, web production, um, you know, just like running the websites for current.com on the hard news end. And then helping out with what was then ctnow.com. So that was the entertainment end of things. So I did both, but I always liked the features and entertainment work. And so once I had kind of moved up a little bit in seniority there, I got moved over to the entertainment side where I would fill in and write food-based things. And if I went out somewhere, I'd write about a drink I had or kind of pick up on a trend for food. And then one of the print editors came to me and said, We're, we want to launch a series called bargain bites where you go out and you have an inexpensive meal somewhere that's you know like a good good taco place good sushi place and then write about it so I got more experience doing that and that was a lot of fun and then I thought I never really thought that was going to be a full-time thing there was a food writer over there there was a food editor um and then I think it was like 2008 there was a whole big round of layoffs layoffs and buyouts and two of the two food people ended up taking buyouts and moving on. Well, I think one retired and one moved to Houston. Actually, he's with Hearst now. And so we're still in contact, which is cool because I always admired his work. And um, in 2009, I ended up leaving there myself because I really wanted to try my hand at freelance writing. Because when I was there, I was, I didn't feel like I was writing enough. And when writing is your full-time career or like your, your real love, like website stuff wasn't really fulfilling for me. So I, I made the, the move to try to freelance and that's very difficult to do. And, you know, yeah. difficult it's, it's good to have a, a two income household and someone else with health insurance. <laughs> so um, I did that for about five years. And then I went back to the current full-time as a full-time food reporter. So it was a very roundabout way to get there, but <laughs> I did end up back there in 2014 reporting on food full-time. Gotcha. And I was there until this past December. That's awesome. That's very cool. And, you know, for those listening that maybe don't know um, uh, about Hearst Media, what is Hearst Media and how has it been working for uh, Hearst Media here in Connecticut? Um, Hearst is the uh, the offshoot of the Connecticut media group that oversees the Connecticut Post, the um, Stanford Advocate, the Greenwich Times, the Danbury News Times. There's eight dailies in general, plus Connecticut Magazine and, and several weeklies. And so I was approached by them last fall to come on board and be sort of a statewide food and consumer reporter. And I thought that was just a phenomenal opportunity. And right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking, wow, that's 
that's um you know that's a really great opportunity to get your work out there and so um yeah i jumped at the chance and it's been a really good experience so far i've been there about six months that's awesome and so what's a typical day like on location for you so when you go to a restaurant what are like what are some of the things that you do when when you go to a spot and you begin the process of you know writing about them and and pictures and all that stuff yeah it depends on the day um started out with COVID not doing as much on-site reporting and actually took me a while to get back into it because it's starting in January and things were still kind of rough with COVID. And a normal day would be more like if some place had just opened, you you contact the, the restaurant owner and you go there and you speak to them for, you know, an hour, two hours about their background, their menu, how everything came together, you know, just everything that you think a reader want to want to know about. I don't, I don't really review. I don't pass opinion. You know, what I do is more journalistic and it depends on the photographer assignment, but with Hearst, it's either a, a staff photographer or someone that they've hired out freelance that will um, talk with the chef and the owner about the dishes that they want to highlight and then kind of let them do their thing. This photo isn't my <laughs> cup. It's not my skill. So and I'm always in awe of those who can do it. So. Gotcha. You know, they, they, they work best with the chef and owner and they, like, they know what looks good yeah, exactly. and what might work in terms of colorful dishes or dishes with texture. You know, that's a whole art. <laughs> that's a whole skill set that I don't have. And I appreciate the heck out of the photographers. Yeah, me too. I mean, shout out to Lisa Nichols, who yes. Lisa Nichols is a food photographer with Bread and Beast food photography. <laughs> she actually is responsible for the uh, picture of me for our podcast and I'm sure everyone sees it. I mean, if you're watching this, you, you've probably seen the, the photo of me in front of the Newtown General Store, one of my favorite places, and kind of Newtown is where the podcast all started. And um, yeah, so shout out to her. She does great work, and I've and I've seen her with you. Definitely talk to me about the place that you guys went together because it's it's a pretty unique place. You don't really uh, <laughs> run into a place like that too often, and I know we chatted about it, and they have a few locations. So definitely talk to me about uh, the place to be. Yeah. Um, so I just did want to mention that Lisa's done some beautiful visual essays for Hearst where she's gone to New Haven pizza shops and done these back, back, uh, you know, beautiful food shot, shots of food, but also in the kitchen with tossing dough and things like that. She did one that was oyster farms and she's done lobster rolls. And so those are done extremely well on our sites just because the pictures are so eye popping. And so she and I live in the Hartford area. So we went over to the place to be, which is the third location of a really popular brunch spot in Hartford. There's two other locations in Hartford proper, but the whole restaurant is built for social media and it's just, it's like a visual feast. So you walk in, there's neon signs, there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like selfie heaven, you know, there's beautiful, bright drinks. There's a photo of me. I'm sure you'll post it on the, <laughs> on your show notes of yeah. a mimosa that's, about as tall as me. I'm about five foot one and a half. It's just giant. It's just, it's a mimosa with, you know, two bottles of champagne and juice and fruit and little rubber duckies floating in it. And so it's just the, the owner's name is Gina Lawari and she's just a creative genius. I feel like she just, she taps into millennial Gen Z social media habits and has created this just like visual gorgeous restaurant you know and the food has it's stuffed french toast with um, nutella and strawberries and 
huge chicken and waffles and just stuff that like you gotta the you just gotta look at their Instagram. It's just the wait's like two hours on the waiting list on the weekends. Wow. So they open in, in West Hartford in uh, Blueback Square and they are opening later this year in New Haven in the former Box 63 location, which I think is Elm Street. But yeah, she's got big plans for New Haven. So wow. And you know, speaking yeah. of Blueback Square, that's a great place. It is. That is a great place. West Hartford is a very, very cool dining area and it's become its destination for pretty much everyone, like an, like an hour radius, I'd say. And during COVID last year, they shut down some key streets and blocked off um, parking spaces and things for people to have extra outdoor seating throughout the summer. And it ended up working out so well. I think they did it again this year. And, you know, they say, I've heard people say that walking down LaSalle Road, which is a whole strip of restaurants, was like was like Europe. And they really enjoyed the experience. So Very cool. That's awesome. You know, do you have, I have to ask this question and I'm sure, and I'm sure that you enjoy writing about everything and, and, and you don't really have a favorite, but I'm going to say it. Do you have favorite places to report on, whether it's a restaurant, a brewery, um, on like a beer or a spirit or on food is, or do you just love it all? I like it all. I think there's very little I don't eat. Gotcha. <laughs> little I don't drink. So yeah, I like, I like beer. I like cocktails. I like pretty much all cuisines. Um, you know, I like I like places that are quirky, kind of like place to be, where you know that you walk in and you've got lots of details in your head and you know it's going to be a fun read or it's going to be fun to write. Gotcha. Um, I think places like that where where there are a lot of little nuances to it. Gotcha. When you walk into a place and you know it's a good story, like <laughs> you get excited to write it. Yeah, you know, I like hole in the walls, as as people like to say. Like those are those are the best places, especially places you don't hear too much about. Um, but you just hear that it's, it's really, really good. And then mm -hmm. you go in there and it becomes your favorite. Um, and speaking of favorites, do you have favorites? Are you allowed to play the favorites game doing what you do? Um, because <laughs> no, I, have I mean, I have, I have places that, and, and if someone asks me what's your favorite restaurant, I can't even do that. I have to do it by category. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, would, I mean, you have a favorite pizza place, ice cream place, brewery. I mean, I'm sure people would like to know, especially someone like you who covers a lot of ground, you know, other people don't get to really experience the places and cover the ground you do. So mm -hmm. speaking of category, do you, do you have some places that you could, you could mention to people? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the places I go to are personally in the Hartford County area, just because I live up here. But, you know, like I have, I have, um, I'm trying to think of where I like for breweries. Um, the thing is, I haven't been out in a while, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But Park Brewery is up there, and I haven't been yet. People keep which one? New Park is is that up by you? Oh yes, I really like New Park. I like their I like sour beers. So why? Yeah, and I hear about them a lot. So yeah, they they do a lot of good work, and they actually started delivering during the pandemic. So yeah, they came down to Newtown a couple of times when I was living there, um, and uh, it just didn't work out. But I just thought mm -hmm. that was cool how they how they did that for sure. Yeah, they ended up one. I ended up ordering from them because they went. There's a pizza place I like in South Windsor. Um, they have another location in Tolland, and we had been there to get takeout because it's my husband's favorite spaghetti and meatballs of all time. So I saw that they were doing a drop off at this pizzeria, and I said, "Oh, we gotta get their beer." <laughs> it was just, it was a good, um, a good pair up. Like I pre-ordered, and then they dropped off there and got my pizza, got my new park. You know, speaking of pizza, people talk to me about Oakland pizza. Is that that's a where I was? 
Oh, is that it? Okay. That's, what, yeah, that's where I drop up. Yeah, they're great. I've heard a lot about that. I've heard a lot about that. Yeah, they also own Camille's in Tolland. Gotcha. People. So that's up. It's not too far from like the Yukon campus. So a lot of people go up there if they're going to Boston or if they're going to Treehouse Brewing in Charlton. And <laughs> it's just another popular stop. So yeah, that's good pizza. It's it's thin, thin crust and they do a lot of cool. Um, they do everything from like classic toppings to seasonal things. Like I think I had something with um, broccoli and ricotta recently. Nice. It's good. I like, I like white pies. I like everything, but <laughs> if I choose, it's usually like a white base for pizza. That That's cool. And you know, I'm with you. I like, I like everything. There really isn't much I like, you know, my parents had a hard time keeping the fridge stocked when I was young because I was a garbage <laughs> disposal. I liked everything. It was pretty, it was pretty. Boys are, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of, you know, staying on the topic of pizza, considering Connecticut, I mean, that's, that's our thing. That's what we're known for. Um, I saw something about a book that's coming out about how pizza in Oregon is the best in the country. Yeah. And I saw that you touched on that. Definitely talk about that. Yeah. I, it's modernist pizza. And I was actually surprised by it. So um, I haven't been out to Portland, Oregon. I, I'd love to. I think it sounds cool. But too. the the book basically, I think they, they kind of insinuated that New Haven and New York pizza were resting on their laurels and maybe aren't as good as people say. And I, I don't think that's true. I, I just, you know, like, I, like we talked earlier, I'm originally from Massachusetts. So coming here and realizing that New Haven was a pizza thing was new to me. And then I tried it and I said, Oh, okay, I get it. It's very good. And there's a lot of pride here. And I love that there's so much pride. Oh my God. In pizza. And I just, I, and you know, I think food pride is a great thing. I think I love that people in Connecticut get so jazzed up about their pizza, their lobster rolls, their burgers. I mean, it's just, it's cool. And I don't know. And, and then there were a lot of people that were furious about that Portland, Oregon destination or designation. And um, I don't know. I didn't really understand it, but without having been out there, I don't know if I can really pass an opinion. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and you are right. One really awesome thing about folks here in Connecticut is they are super passionate about about pizza and about food, and especially about ones that mean a lot to us. And you know, what was your thoughts on um, the state food becoming pizza? Obviously, it didn't get passed uh, uh, in the in the General Assembly, but um, you know, what was your thoughts on that? And and of course, you know, there were certain people that that came and were trying to you know petition for it happening and. There were also a lot of people that said that it should have been something else, like like the lobster roll, which mm. is my favorite food. So I wouldn't have, you know, I, I would have been okay with that. But we are known for our pizza in New Haven. So what was your thoughts on that whole thing? <laughs> I mean, I think it would have been cool. Yeah, and they would have. It would have. There's been a lot of pizza wars. I feel like in the past six months or since I've been working at Hearst, is always like turn around and, and Ned Lamont is mad about something or <laughs> <laughs> like there's some politician is is trash talking New Jersey. And yeah, I think it's funny, you know, and it certainly gives us enough material to work with for stories, but um, I think it would have been cool. You know, I think you know, people would say lobster rolls are their big thing here and, and certainly their big thing in the rest of New England, but that's the same for pizza. So maybe like the white clam pie would have been our thing. I feel like that's very Connecticut. Yeah. And Frank Pepe's it always, it's always number yeah. one pizza always. It's it, yeah. It's so good. I mean, it's it's definitely a go-to whenever I go to Frank Pepe's. Although right now they have the summer tomato pie. Uh, yeah, 
run for three months, which is also really great. And in yeah, that's special. I'm glad there's one nearby here uh, living in Danbury. It's always mm-hmm. nice. A- I've got one in Manchester, so that's nice. <laughs> but uh, one other thing I want to ask you, um, I'm good friends with these guys. They're called the Wing Addicts. I'm sure you've... Uh, mm-hmm. I've talked to them, yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. What's your... Yeah. What- Aren't they awesome? What's your thoughts on them? And, and I think that's so cool. I just someone that's dedicated like that, and they've covered so much ground. Yeah, you know, I talked. To, I did a story. Um, I don't know, a month or so ago, and it was about chicken wing prices skyrocketing. And I ended up talking to Tommy from Wing Addicts, and like he was great. He weighed right in, and you know, he said he wasn't sure that he had seen it, but he'd heard people talking about it. And now I think anybody like that who's just dedicated to one food in Connecticut and wants to explore it, like. That's granular. That's really cool. That's that's major dedication, and you know, my hat off to all of these people. Yeah. Um, shout out to Tommy, Tommy Wyatt, uh, Donnie the Cleaner, and Wing Chef Ryan. Those guys are awesome. I'm actually looking forward to um, hopefully this year being a guest on on their show. Uh, oh, that'll be fun. I want to take them to Bomb Wings in in Hamden. Oh I've, yeah, I haven't been there yet. I've heard incredible things. Actually, my dad lives there. He just moved there uh, recently. And from anyone I talk to, I hear their wings are incredible. Their rice, they, it's called Bomb Wings and Rice. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping that we can do our episode uh, over there at some point. But um, moving on, what impresses you the most with the Connecticut restaurant and food scene during your time as a reporter that you could think of so far? I mean, I know it's been a kind of a short time since January, but what could you tell us? You mean just in general, my whole career or? Yeah, or, yeah recently yeah. or in general, whichever. Yeah, I think um, Connecticut does a good job of maximizing what it has to offer in terms of produce and local produce and meat and seafood. And, you know, I just, a lot of people see us in the shadow of New York or Boston. And I don't think that's fair. I think I, you, you think about the, the, chefs that do farm to table and really do farm to table and they have such good networks of people around the state you know you're getting your scallops from stonington you're getting your produce from a farmer you've worked with for years and you you go there and you see them you know planting the lettuce and harvesting it and you know i just i think connecticut people take a lot of pride in what we have to offer here and they do beautiful things with it and i just covered something in um i don't know it kind of all blur. It was at least two months ago, but there was a kelp week where Connecticut restaurants were kind of tasked or challenged to use sugar kelp from the shoreline in dishes or drinks. And these restaurants kind of jumped on it full steam and said, let's, this is a cool ingredient. How can I do it? And they just, they just went wild with it and did really creative things. I think um, Oyster Club and Mystic, did some sort of gin cocktail with kelp and, you know, they're using kelp as like a flavoring and like a broth and someone used kelp and fettuccine and they're just like, there's a lot of creativity and they, they seem to do best when they're working with the freshest local product possible. That's awesome. And, you know, I know that I, I, you know, I always wonder if I'm getting this wrong and maybe you could help me. Is it Mia's sushi or Maya's sushi? I think it's Mia's. Yeah. Okay, so I know Mia Sushi. I love. Are they still open? Because my one of my last guests was telling me that they were closed, and I haven't been obviously in a couple of years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they still open? And another thing is, I saw that their chef uh, was using the cicadas that had yes. recently 
and food. And I thought that was so interesting. He was on CNN talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been trying to reach out to him to get him to come on and talk about it. But uh, what could you tell us, you know, how interesting did you find that? And, and is, are they still open? And, and what, what was kind of the scenario with that? Yeah, I've known him for probably more than a decade now. Um, my understanding is that the restaurant closed late last year because they had announced early in January, like before COVID, that that was going to happen. And he's been doing these, I believe he owns a farm in Woodbridge, and he's been doing these special dinners on the farm that are sort of like sushi explorations. And um, he, he went down to the D.C. area to find cicadas and was doing these special pop-up dinners there. I think was bringing them back here as well, but you know, he's really, it's not just a stunt thing for him. It's, it's, this is a source of protein. This is a sustainable source of protein. And this is how people should be eating because, you know, farming meat, you know, maybe isn't the most sustainable way to eat. It's kind of fascinating to me. I haven't, I haven't had them. I suppose I would try them if I were had the opportunity, but a couple of years ago I was up at, um, the Yukon dining services had a truck and they were serving crickets on tacos, like as a protein source. Hmm. And we tried those. Wasn't that bad, but I don't know if I'd rush out to get them again, but <laughs> yeah, I would definitely try stuff like that. I'm very adventurous like that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any other stories or any other places that are doing some, like some crazy things that you could remember? Some bug stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't have any worms. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I mean, one of the things that that bun for me has said was that like lobster years ago was considered an insect, and it was kind of eaten as food that wasn't considered it was wasn't considered luxurious like it is now. And he said he thinks that cicadas and bugs might in the future be looked at like lobster. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, people always tell me all the time, "How could you like lobster? How could it be your favorite food?" You know, they're in the spider family, they're bottom feeders, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I would eat it every day if I could. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. You're, my um, my grandfather had a house in Maine, so we would go up there as kids. And, you know, I started eating lobster at a very young age and <laughs> got hooked real early. So <laughs> it's just like yeah, it's, so funny. it's one of my favorite foods, too, if not my favorite food. Yeah, my dad's side of my family lived in Maine almost my entire life until about a couple years ago when they moved to Georgia. So I actually spent many summers in Portland and Booth Bay mm -hmm. and um, uh, Camden, Maine, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all, Rockland, all those places. So yeah, my grandfather's house was near Camden and Rockland. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I used to go. Yeah, so like mid mid coast, really beautiful up there. So oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. I yeah. Mean, Especially when you go up Mount Batty and you're looking at the water and, and you're looking at Camden with the boats and everything like that. And mm -hmm. shout out to Sea Dog Brewing Company. I love them. I yep. always go over there and and uh, buy their merch and admire, mm -hmm. admire all the dogs on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Maine. Maine is a great state. Maine is great. I think Portland, Maine, if I could snap my fingers like Wizard of Oz or click my heels, whatever it is, and just go over there and live there, I would do it tomorrow. Um, yeah. I wouldn't hesitate. I I think that's my favorite food city in New England. Yeah. No, me I think I'd go as far as to say that. Yeah. I have because I have the family has a home up there. So I spend, I don't know, a couple, they go up there a couple times this summer and kind of go back to favorites. And I feel like I have this long list of places I haven't tried yet and I need to. And yeah. I'm visiting, I'm visiting with some friends next week up there. So, oh, jealous. Have a great time. Yeah. Thank I you. It's just, it's, it's fabulous. I mean, it's just, there's so much there that, um, to explore and then just, I feel like there's a lot of chefs there that are really, really creative and really not afraid to 
try something new and they just kind of, the city makes it work. There's always interest in what people are doing. Yeah, no, the, the food there is amazing. The breweries are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, every, you know, they're both are plentiful. Two of my favorite places to go are duck fat and mm-hmm. high roller lobster co. And then of course, like when I first took my girlfriend to Portland, Maine, I had to do the, you have to do the, the one time at DeMillo's, the yacht, uh, yeah. you got yeah. Um, <laughs> so we did that Yeah, in the old port area. Yeah. And old port yeah. brewing and all that stuff. And, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting was, um, I think it was like five, six years ago at this point, uh, I was in Portland with some friends showing them Portland for the first time. And an Uber driver said to me that Portland, Maine is second per capita in restaurants in the country to San Francisco. Is it really? <laughs> Which I couldn't believe oh. he said it was such like conviction. <laughs> like he was so, wow. so I, I knew he must've been, I, I never Googled it, but I'm just assuming he's accurate based on, you know, what you see when you're there and when you get there. But, but yeah, like you said, absolutely amazing place. Yeah. Have you ever had the lobster corn dog at High Roller? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> I think that was one of the first. Wow. It's I so had. good. Yeah. And I was just like, is this, is this real life? Like, yeah. And then I remember having a lobster donut one time at brunch. They took lobster and they formed it into mini donuts. Um, I'm not surprised. They're, they also have an amazing Instagram presence. And so I follow and I see what they're doing. And I'm like, all right, can I get up there for that? Popcorn lobster, lobster crab rangoons. Oh yeah. And all yeah. I you know, Action Bronson is one of my favorite uh performers and rappers, you know, musical artists. And when he went up to Portland uh a couple years ago, that was like the first place he went after the show ended. And that's kind of like kind of like all I needed to like know because he he knows everything about food and I love following his food journey and now him losing weight and stuff. He's he's awesome, he's incredible. But um, you know, a few more things before we wrap up and thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Um and one of those is what are some of the hard things with your job? Like what are some things that are, you know, can be a little stressful, a little difficult. And then what are your favorite parts about what you get to do reporting on food for, for Hearst media? You know, I think um, there's not a lot. I mean, it's, it's like any job where, you know, there, there might be something difficult about it. And, you know, a lot of times it's like scheduling. Sometimes scheduling can be tough because, you know, like a a chef can have something happen or like, you know, kind of you're on a deadline and something might happen and you might not be able to get to that deadline. And, but you just kind of work around it. You know, it's not, it's not like reporting hard news. So typically what you're doing is very positive and, you know, what you're doing, you're kind of bringing awareness to a new restaurant that's opened or, you know, it's, it's more of a positive feature style reporting. Yeah. I was gonna. I would say like, you're not, yeah, I'm not a critic. So I'm not going and passing judgment on the food. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to love about it. And, you know, my, my colleagues in news are like, well, that's cool. I went to a murder scene this morning and you get to go to eat pizza. And, you know, it's it's weird. It's 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 um it's an interesting. Two different, two different <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, but it's weird because I, you know, I had colleagues who were, were very much like news, hard news was their thing. And that's what they wanted to do. And features was out of their realm. And you know, I, that's the style of writing I like to do. And I like to get more, a little more deeper into a story. And I would say that food is my favorite part of the job, but that's not always the case. I think it's really telling people's stories. And so, because there's so much to food and there's a lot of emotions tied to food and a lot of, you know, hardship tied to people who may have come to this country from 
another area and may have fled, you know, like a, a tough situation in their home country. And so you hear stories like that. Um, you know, I've spoken to people that have been through unimaginable loss and have sort of turned to a new business as, you know, something that's like a, a next chapter of their life. And there's a lot of that. Um, you, more often than not, you're you're hearing someone's life story or something that's very emotional to them. Um, that's part of their story. That's part of what led them to open this business. Um, so it's not, it's usually not really cut and dry. It's like, wow, you're talking to somebody and well, there's something that in the long, their path that led them here. And um, that's what's driven them to open something, you know, as you know, the restaurant industry isn't easy to do. It's not, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy investment. Um, it's not an easy go. So people that do it typically really love it or they just have had this dream forever. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of good stories that come along with something like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. It's, you know, it's very well said. And that's one of the reasons why I like to do this. I like to learn about, you know, why people do what they do and the passion and the energy and the drive and everything they've done in their career and stuff like that. And so, so yeah, so I, I agree with you. It's cool. And then, like you said, restaurant life and restaurant, you know, owning a restaurant, the business, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, I knew it was, but then I started interviewing chefs and talking about their day to day. It's like, man, they're, they're, they're just, there's, they're rock stars. And that's why I always call them rock stars and superstars. And, and I know they hate it because they're, you know, they're mostly humble people who are just, you know, they put their head down, they go to work because it's, you know, they do it for their families and their employees and stuff like that. But man, they're rock stars. They're awesome. I mean, they, I tip my hat to them and, and I tip well also because, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, you know, especially post COVID. Oh my God. My tip yeah. went, my tip went way up post COVID. I mean, I was already at, I was already at 20 ish. Now I'm at like 24, mm. 30 sometimes. Um, but anyway, favorite. I know they appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I hope so. I hope so. And, and you know, and the, cause the feeling's mutual. I mean, without, and I've said this so many times without restaurants, uh, you, you know, you can't really celebrate your birthday, a special event. Like they make your special day more special by what they right. do. Right. And, 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 you know, donate to the community and sponsor. Yeah. They do a lot of things that maybe some people don't understand. So it might yeah. be off and, and I love them and, and love to support them. Yeah. Um, treat them well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we need them around. Exactly. I mean, amen. Um, what's a favorite thing you've covered uh, or written about recently or just in your career? Do you have like one thing that you can just uh, you can point out or is it just a bunch of things? It's a bunch of things. There are things that are fun. There are things that are emotional. Like I said, there are things that um, uh, I actually got thrown into a uh, marijuana store. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, because which is as I said, then sometimes I'm, you know, like my, I'm typically food focused here at Hearst. Um, but at the time that COVID happened at the current, I got pulled off into some more general assignment reporting just because there was so much going on and they needed all of us. Like the sports reporters became business reporters, became COVID reporters. So you have to be versatile. Um, I've been specializing more at Hearst, but um, because I live relatively close to Massachusetts when they legalized um, marijuana here in Connecticut as for recreational use. They said, why don't we send a reporter and see if more people are going over the border now that it's legal. And they're like, who lives near the border? Leanne lives near the border. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I'm not someone who partakes in that. I think it should be legal and I'm glad it was legalized, but I don't know much about it. So I go up to this, 
this dispensary in Springfield where um, I worked actually briefly. So I walk in, it's like an Apple store. It was beautiful. <laughs> it just, and they were, and it was people from all walks of life, all ages, all, you know, like college kids to older, like elderly women to men in business suits. I'm like, wow, everybody, this is a universal experience at this point. And so I learned a lot. I learned a lot that day about um, medical cannabis, not medical, um, recreational cannabis. And um, that's funny because I didn't think my my day was going to turn like that. But, you know, one thing about reporting is that you can become a miniature expert on something if you have to, just for the case of a story. And while it's fun to do the food stuff, it's also been interesting to branch out a little bit. I did a lot of, um, we did stories during COVID that were focused on, hometown heroes. And so I wrote about a woman who was celebrating her. Oh, she was, I can't remember. She was 90. She was, she was over 90. And I can't remember how old she was, but she was of advanced age. And um, she was knitting masks for anybody who wanted them. And it was before masks were really, uh, it might've been April or something where masks were before they were really um, able to be found everywhere. And so we published a story about this, sweet lady who was making masks and I must have gotten 20 emails that day how do I get in touch with this lady can she make me a mask can she make a mask for my daughter who's in a hospital and has to reuse an N95 um stuff like that we just we were finding people that were doing incredible things in the community on a small local level and then kind of bring them to the forefront and that was that was what stuck with me because that lady was so cool she's got this whole sewing room in her house and she said, "Literally anybody who wants a mask, she will, she'll take care of it for you." So, yeah, that was fun. And then part of just the, with COVID, I, I keep going back to it just because it's so fresh that people were, you know, just just the the resilience that people had during the process, and can't imagine how stressful that must have been. And just people that just worked day and night to keep their business afloat. And then, you know, things aren't over. Like everyone's dealing with stuff right now. They're dealing with staffing crises. They're dealing with food costs rising. And, you know, you, you think you were kind of going to, that it was going to crest down for a little bit and then we get some relief. Now that people are back out and dining, but yeah, there's no end to it. So like yeah. you said, just keep supporting the restaurants, keep, be good to them, understand they're under a lot of stress right now. Tip well. Don't be a jerk if your food is late. Yeah. Oh, I can't tell you how much I, I really, really don't like how people have been treating restaurants mm-hmm. now that you can go back and, and, and yeah. in full capacity. You know, this is late. This is cold. This is this. This is that. You know, it's easy from my perspective because I talk to these folks and I know the hardships and, and I get mm-hmm. it. And I've And I've always known. It. I mean, my thankfully, my parents raised me to be a respectable, understanding person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some people have different ideas of 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 what, uh, you know, what kind of service and, and they want. But I think a lot of people should have more, you know, more understanding about the current situation. I mean, places aren't staffed that great, um, you know, and. and you should, you know, they've been, they've been through enough. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, and if only, if only these people could reverse roles and, 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 yeah. and hop into this person's shoes. I mean, if only there was a thing where you could just go in someone's shoes for like five minutes just to see what it's like. So you can get some perspective in your own life. Right. And I really hope that, that, um, that changes for sure. I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think that's been crazy. Uh, and 
with everything that you've been doing with uh, with food writing and journalism, you know, what does the future look like for you? Do you have any other uh, aspirations or anything like that, or you know, do you just really enjoy what you're doing right now with Hearst Media, and that's kind of that's kind of uh, the thing right now? You know, it's weird because I. I knew going into journalism that it's it's a tough industry and wasn't sure what it was going to look like in 15 years. And, you know, being in school, they would tell you, we're not sure the print, print paper is going to be around for in another decade. And that seems so scary to me. But then I saw that it really has declined. And it's really upsetting to see because I feel like we need a, a strong free press more than ever. And, you know, and I don't want my colleagues in the industry to feel like their jobs are in peril. And that can be difficult. Um, but Hearst right now has invested a lot of time and effort in, in, um, in new talent. And um, we've really been expanding and it's been phenomenal. So um, I hope to be there quite a long time because I like the direction it's going in. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do coverage. I think there's an opportunity to expand. So, yeah, I see myself um, hopefully being part of, of their growth for quite a while. Awesome. And I hope so too, because I, you know, like I said, before we started this, I love your writing. I love your articles. I, you know, I'm frequently reading your articles and they're, they're awesome. And, and I always like get to the end. I'm like, who wrote this? I like scroll up. It's like Leanne Griffin. It's like, oh. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, it's, a lot. it's, it's, it's been a lot of, it's a very rewarding career. And I think, um, you know, I'll hear from people who like, you wrote about me 10 years ago and you helped my business. And those are the things I don't think about. Cause it's just like, I've got to get this done. But sometimes I forget about the impact that those stories have just every story, just any, any kind of business story that opens up, you know, exposures to people struggling with new businesses. And, and um, I had a, a restaurant owner tell me that last year when the, in the thick of COVID, when things were, when we were struggling ourselves um, with uh, we, we underwent some furloughs last year when I was with Tribune and, you know, that was kind of stressful at the time where everyone was worried about what's going to happen with their jobs. And, and I called him for something and he stopped me and he said, I need you to know that, you know, you kind of put my business on the map when you wrote about me five years ago. And I told my wife that, that this was going to help launch our business. And he's like, we still talk about you and how you did that. And I'm like, I had no idea. I almost cried. I said, I had no idea that I had that kind of impact. Like to me, I'm writing a story about a pizzeria and it was great. And I loved meeting the family, but you don't realize until someone tells you that your words can have an impact like that. And I, I didn't know my career was going to lead that way. And that's really gratifying. Yeah. That's so cool. You must, it must feel so rewarding and, and awesome. So I, I, that's, that's super awesome. And you know, <laughs> it's funny because uh, speaking of that, you actually just wrote an article that posted, I don't know, I think it was like the other day about one of my friends, uh, Vanessa Senna of my, yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon with all the chefs in her business, and we're going to promote uh, everything she's doing. But I just saw um, that post. Yes. I was like, yeah, that was Friday, I think. Yeah, that is such – can we mention what she's doing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. that is such a cool – I think it's such a cool concept. It's mylocalchefs.com, and she's partnered up with a whole bunch of chefs and producers all around the state. And um, the intent is for for them to drop everything off at a centralized hub, and then you can get – stuff delivered so there's like the, the cross-culture kombucha and danbury and then a couple of producers up in the hartford area and then was it um someone was doing fresh juices and mystic and so you can kind of get all this in one order sent to your house and i just thought that was brilliant i just it's pretty wild when she told me the idea yeah. i was just like you're a genius that's gonna be very successful yeah. 
And yeah, I just it's no, like it's like going to a farmer's market, I guess, and trying everything at once. But yeah, you know, you get to pick the order and you get to see ahead of time and you get what is it like three three days ahead of an advance and it comes to your house and yeah, meal services are popular. I gotta tell you, yeah, they're, they're popular. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it was good stuff. It was things like like keto and gluten free and vegan and um, you know basically any kind of dietary restriction you had, they could handle. So two more things, and then we'll wrap it up. We're just about hitting an hour, and thank you again so much. It's, it's crazy how time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, yeah. when you're having fun. <laughs> and uh, one of those is, what do you like to do in your free time when you're not working and you're not covering um, you know, all these different places and everything like that? What do you like to do to just unwind and enjoy yourself? Well, with, um, with food, there is a, a lot of crossover with um, – you know, working and, and enjoying yourself, but like when, when food is your hobby in addition to your job. So, you know, you, you go to a restaurant and you, you, you don't really feel like you're working, but you know, I might make a note of something or I've noticed that I'm, I've relied back on some old photos on my phone of some place that we may not have like an archive photo of at Hearst. And so I'm like, I know I went to that burger place. I have a photo on my phone. Let me find it. So I'm always taking pictures when I'm out or like making notes or something, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like work, but yeah, I like, um, kind of a homebody. So I didn't really mind COVID as much as some other people may have, but I like, um, I like cooking. I like traveling when I can. Um, and I'm trying to say, I have a pet rabbit who's like my life. <laughs> so I spend time with him. He's, he's kind of Instagram famous. He has his own little personality. But uh, yeah, and I actually, I I follow a very niche sport. I follow gymnastics. Oh, cool. And I follow it at um, both the Olympic level and NCAA. So that's kind of, you know, where most people follow football, I follow gymnastics. (laughs) So That's very cool. Yeah. Simone Biles. (laughs) Simone Biles is the, the GOAT, the best athlete ever. Yeah, I just, I watched her. She kind of came up quickly. Like right after the London Olympics, she was age eligible for um, the senior level. And she just, I watched her at a, actually she was at a competition in Worcester where I'm from. And I never went to the competition, which was stupid of me. Like she was in my hometown, but um, I watched a video of her and I said, whoa, like she's just, it was like, I've been watching it since I was a kid. So like, like the Barcelona Olympics, like I've never seen anyone like her before. So. Yeah, it's it's nice for me to see like the whole world embrace her as an athlete because it was someone I kind of like had followed for years before that. By the yeah. way, by the way, happy birthday! I know your birthday. Oh, thank you. Talking happy birthday, and and how was your day? And what did you would you do anything? What would you do? Anything special? Or my age redacted. <laughs> 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 no, I just turned forty. It's fine. <laughs> But yeah, I, um, my friends threw us a pool party. That was a lot of fun. It was like the one, the one, um, break of sun in the Saturday stretch of Saturday that we've had, I don't know what, five weeks of rain or something. Well, look, I'm turning yeah. 30 this year in October and I'm dreading it. So I'm- 30 is cool. 30s are cool. It'll be fine. I, I, it's, it's the speed in which those go, those go. That's scary. I just turn on, I'm like, I just turned 30. No, I didn't. No, no. it's fine it's fine i'm happy with my life the way it is now but my friends who threw the party they all turned 40 this year and when you've survived a pandemic you kind of feel like you can't complain about a birthday true 
That's what I was saying. So we were just, they, my friends had a joint birthday party in June. And so we just had another one and it was just like, we're going to have all the parties this year because we lost a year of our lives and we can't take being social for granted anymore. So, <laughs> well, yeah. regardless of age, you are a rock star. We love you here in the state. You do an awesome job covering food. My mouth waters by the, you know, I have drool dripping all over the place by the time I'm done reading. <laughs> 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 I guess that's a, that's a good endorsement, right? There you go. And one of the things I like to ask my guests before they leave me is, like we were talking about before, pizza is king in the state mm-hmm. of Connecticut. And when you're in New Haven, do you have, if you're willing to go there, do you have a favorite place to get New Haven style a beats, as we like to call it? And when you're in your area, I'm assuming it's Oakland Pizza, as you were saying before, but... What are some restaurants that you also like to go to, some go-to places in your area and just anywhere in the state? Um, I guess I'd have to say Pepe's because I can get that closer to me. Um, New Haven's amazing. I do like Delania on State Street. Delania is really good. Me too. Yeah. They, um, I'm trying to think what I had there. I think I had prosciutto on it, but it was really, really good the last time I was there. Um, but you now Sally's is opening in Stanford this summer so that's big modern's very very good too um i don't know i don't i don't dislike any new haven pizza uh, i think i would eat them all and maybe that's a cop-out answer but um but yeah i like i like um oakland up near me um i have favorites i i, I really like some places in um west hartford center um zohara is a really great mediterranean place so they do um They've got a lot of vegetarian food, but also grilled chicken and lamb and things like that. They do a whole roasted cauliflower head with tahini and pomegranate seeds. And I like Barcelona too. I like the Barcelona restaurants because I love tapas. I love wine. They have an amazing wine list. So I'm at the yeah. one uh, somewhat often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. And it's cool that they're everywhere. And like, the bar tacos are springing up around the country. And it's been cool to see that group. Bar Taco is so good. Yeah. But we have a place over here in Danbury that I'm close to, right? But just before we wrap up here, Mariposa. Yes. I spoke to them earlier this year. I was craving Bar Taco last weekend and I was like, you know what? Let's go to Mariposa. Let's see if it's, if it's, oh my gosh, it filled our, we've been, we've been going and going and going. So yeah, you've got some good stuff in Danbury. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. I'm right near Mill Plain Road. It's like right down the street here. So that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is awesome. Well, listen, Leanne Griffin, food and consumer reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time this evening. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'll be following your articles from for for some time, and and I will continue. And uh, you know, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I wish you nothing but the best. And and like I said, thank you so much, and have a good night. Thank you so much. Huge thanks once again to my guest on the podcast today, Leanne Griffin. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. So awesome to hear all the cool things that you get to do. Wishing you nothing but the best and look forward to talking to you again soon down the road. Yet again, just like that, another episode of Sweeten Up is in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate your feedback. As a reminder, you can play the podcast with the help of your smart speaker by simply saying, play the podcast Sweeten Up with Jeff Spencer. Thank you as always to my best friends, the guys who make it all possible, 
Post-production and music, Morgan Lutzi. Art director and production, Kurt Vinci. Editor and writer, Nick Passacretta. And big thanks, as always, to Devin Cipelli. My guest on the podcast next week is the great and powerful Corey Paris. Corey Paris is an American politician serving as a member of the Connecticut House of Representatives from the 145th District. Elected on April 29, 2021 in a special election, he assumed office on May 4, 2021. Corey is an up-and-coming star in Connecticut's political scene, and it was so nice to be able to chat with him. But until then, you know the deal. Stay safe, stay healthy, love you all, peace.